0: Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their efforts to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Folks, our focus today is on some really exciting and innovative work It's about creating an ecosystem that involves a patient health record that is built on blockchain technology, and we will talk about what blockchain technology is, as well as healthy behavior incentives that are based on cryptocurrency technology, and again, we'll talk about that as well. I think, from my perspective, in preparing for this interview and this dialogue, I I think this is probably conceptually the most complex interview I've attempted to date. It's really an impressive body of work, and we are so fortunate to have an impressive healthcare leader and an accomplished clinician on the podcast today, Dr. Samir Damani. Dr. Damani is the CEO and co-founder of Mint Health. It's a global decentralized health platform. That aligns healthcare stakeholders around a shared goal of patient impairment and improved clinical outcomes at lower costs. He's got extensive experience as both a clinician and as a technology entrepreneur. Prior to launching Mint Health, Dr. Damani was the founding CEO of MD Revolution, which has become a gold standard technology-enabled service platform for Medicare's chronic care management, the CCM program. Under his leadership, he's raised quite a bit of money for MD Revolution. It's a platform that uh, integrates patient-generated data, electronic health records, and physician workflow for the purpose of optimizing population health management. And he's demonstrated significant return on investment by reducing inpatient hospitalizations in patients with multiple chronic conditions. Dr. Damani remains an active member of the board of MD Revolution, and he provides quite a bit of executive oversight in terms of his corporate strategy and clinical functions. In addition to that work, Dr. Damani is on the clinical faculty at the Department of Family and Preventive Medicine at the UC San Diego Medical School. He's a board-certified practicing cardiologist at Scripps Clinic And in addition to his medical training, Dr. Devani has a doctorate in pharmacy from the University of Georgia, as well as a master's in clinical investigation from the Scripps Research Institute. I also understand that he is an advisor and a reviewer for a number of prestigious medical journals. I have to say, I've had the really remarkable opportunity to have a number of conversations with Dr. Jamani Samir a number of times in preparation for this interview. He clearly has the technical, technologic, business, clinical, entrepreneurial skills in spades. But what strikes me the most about the conversations I've had to date with him is, and this just comes across to me so clearly is a profound sense of purpose and mission and uh, just a real integrity that is just, to me, is just even shines more than than all the other talents and skills and accomplishments he has. Um, really emotionally intelligent person. And so I'm just thrilled to have Samir on the phone today. And uh, Samir, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh,
1: thank you for that introduction. Really excited to be on your show.
0: Great. I guess the first question before we get into the blockchain technology, which I'm going to ask you to, to define first and explain, because I think we all, uh, those of us who are even familiar with this, get uh, the whole issue of cryptocurrency versus blockchain, uh, confused. So I'm going to ask you to jump into that. But could you just start off by at a very, very high level explaining, um, uh, in as plain language as you can. And I know this, this is complex stuff you're talking about. Uh, what mint health is? What, what, what is it that you're trying to do with Men health? What kind of service is it?
1: Yeah, so we're a platform as a service. And what we're doing is we're leveraging the distributed ledger technology that is blockchain to do two things. One is to enable existing applications where patients are captive participants uh, of a population uh, that's being cared. So it could be a device company, it could be a, a payer like, you know, an Aetna or, or a commercial payer or a government payer, anybody or an employer, where now what you're doing is through the ability to use blockchain, you're giving patients an ability to have a repository of health information that they control, they can share um, at will. So it's no longer, the data is no longer siloed within an electronic health record system, but rather there's a copy That they have that's also, um, additive to their data on blood pressure they may have at home or blood sugar or, or nutrition information. And then the second piece is that we are enabling those same stakeholders to incentivize populations that are driving a lot of the cost, uh, into the healthcare system, which are those with patients' chronic disease. So, so again, the two things is really giving a patients a, a repository for uh, their own health information that they can control, they share, and, and the second piece is an incentive model. So think of it a loyalty program on the blockchain for patients uh, with chronic conditions.
0: Okay, so you've, you've got so so as I understand it, I mean it's it's a personal health record, and then uh, and then it also embedded in this sort of and the only way I could I can I mean I really like the word and I know you use this in a lot of your descriptions. Uh, this idea of an ecosystem, it, it's, it's not just one thing. It's actually, uh, I, I don't know if there's a better word to describe it, but it, it almost seems like a, uh, you're putting together a, a healthy behavior economy.
1: That's it's an economy around healthy behaviors. Um, and, and that at the high levels, what, uh, mint health is enabling by leveraging specific technology.
0: Mm-hmm. What, let's let's just pick up on that for a second, because you didn't use that phrase. It just came to mind after I, I read reams of of descriptions and, and the white papers you put out, which, which by the way, are fantastic. They really are. Um, uh, th- th- this idea of a of – a, of a, it, it is an ecosystem because there's so much involved in, you know, under the hood of what you're building, and you're, you're aligning and you bring so many different stakeholders together in a very, very elegant way. So ecosystem makes a lot of sense. Uh, but the, the, this idea that it is, you're, you're forming an economy that is promoting healthful behaviors. So wh- what do you like about that phrase? Or, and you might be, you might've used it. I just, you know, it just was the one that's come to mind to for me.
1: Well, I mean, I think when you fundamentally look, I mean, my training as a cardiologist is, has been very focused on what we call episodic and catastrophic care. In way it's uh, epistrophic care and, typically you you know I came you know to the conclusion in twenty eleven when I started my first company that you know patients, especially those with multiple chronic conditions um tend to be tend to lack an awareness around a lot of what they need to do, and even if they didn't know what they needed to do, uh they don't always do it and so building models which allows Physician extenders to start to reach out to patients in between office visits, uh, was very, very, it made a lot of sense because that's when a lot of the things that could be prevented, complications, uh, making sure people are taking their meds, all the things that need to happen happens, you know, outside of the clinic. I mean, you might be in a 10 minute office visit, but you're spending, you know, 24 seven doing things that drive the development of and the complications of chronic conditions. And so the whole idea around this is that if you can start to create a loyalty program or an incentive model, which can be redeemed for doing healthful behaviors, um, you're getting, you're getting rewarded for that. And now you're actually being able to redeem them, whether it's lower deductibles or matching HSA dollars through your employer or, you know, whether it's, um, you know, paying, you know, getting paid by Aetna because you're a heart failure patient and you did uh, certain things like step on a scale daily, you logged your salt, um, you've been able to stay on stable weight, stay out of the, the hospital for whatever reason, you know, and, and you've done better and you've gotten, you know, a token for that. Now those tokens could be rewarded at CVS or at Whole Foods for, you know, healthful goods and services. So creating that economy, and that incentive model, because ultimately these are behavioral conditions that are driving 90% of the cost, uh, which is, you know, in the U.S. alone, we're going to go from three to five trillion. I mean, So it's unsustainable. And that's what's really exciting is that blockchain allows you to be able to administer a loyalty program such as this, where now across state and national boundaries, you can have a token that essentially becomes proof of health.
0: So, so it is. I think that's really helpful for me. That description, that use of that term, loyalty program. So this is this is essentially like a an app or a web based uh, program that you would join. It's a loyalty program, and and like other loyalty programs or incentive based programs, it, it incents you to do healthy behaviors. And, and so let me first of all. So just in terms of the end goal, in the end, if you're if you're you know pitching this or talking to payers or providers or patients. If all this works, the outcome would be what?
1: Well, the outcome would vitamins, which is the technology, the the token that we have created, which is the crypto utility token. So it's V I D A M I N T S. Ultimately, would be the de facto proof of health. So in other words, if you're earning vitamins, uh, you can then be proven to be healthy because the whole idea here is that. We are as a platform as a service, enabling other apps. We are not trying to displace apps. so we are whether you're a company that has a a sleep apnea device that you need to drive engage so any company that is looking to drive patient engagement around their health would leverage the mental health platform and the mental health platform would simply have a vitamin wallet that we integrate we would. We would then embed the smart contracts in the blockchain, which will allow patients to earn vitamins. They would be virtually mining for vitamins based on certain behaviors. And then we we would integrate redemption marketplaces into any existing app. So the end goal is ultimately, if we're successful, every payer, every government in the world would use vitamins because now vitamins essentially become... You know, like anything else, the more volume you get, the more buying power you get. Right. Mm -hmm. And so once you get, you know, enough stakeholders, um, because we're the first to really do this, there's a lot of opportunity to become the gold standard. And it'd be very hard to displace once you have a network effect, um, because your value of the token is going to be much greater uh, because you have more redemption opportunities.
0: Mm -hmm. So so in a very, very simple way of thinking about it, you know, just thinking about the loyalty programs or incentive programs that we currently have, if you use a credit card and and you get buying power that way, uh, in this regard, now, if you do healthy behaviors, you you get more buying power through these vitamins that you can use to offset other costs or purchase health-related type of products or services.
2: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. So, let's pause for a second. If you could Really quickly, just define blockchain uh, technology, and your your system is built on that, and and then also uh, the cryptocurrency, the Vitamin Token, is built on that. If you could just explain that, and 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 then what I would really like to have you do is uh, take take us through what what would it be from a patient's perspective. I I, I download this app, I, I get onto the website, and then what's my life like? What does it look like? Uh, who do you connect me with? This is also, it is a personal health record. So there is, it's connected to your, your, your providers and, 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 uh, your other electronic medical records. So it just it'd be great to paint a picture of what life, lo- life would be like for a person with uh, a chronic medical problem who signs up for, for, for Mint Health.
1: No, it's, those are great, great questions. So let me first explain, you know, there's blockchain and there's Bitcoin. They're totally separate. Um, Bitcoin is a currency that operates on the blockchain. Blockchain is a fundamental technology, which is also known as a, a, a distributed ledger technology. It's nothing more than a, a ledger or an auditable log of transactions that occur that spread across thousands and thousands of computers. And so what makes it great is that it's immutable because you can't hack it because it's stored on so many different computers. And the idea with the decentralized ledger technology really was first articulated to the public through a white paper uh, in 2008 by a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and the idea is that this is an alias. We don't really know who that was. But in the wake of the recession, uh, these, uh, and we believe they were scientists, uh, you know, essentially put out there that financial... Ruin that happened, they felt was because of the centralized nature of banking and that through the decentralization of a banking that you would take away power from these institutions that were wielding too much of it. Uh, and so what, the, what they proposed was is, is essentially blockchain technology where individual computers would volunteer processing power, storage and bandwidth to essentially process transactions. And so you, through cryptography, could send me financial information. And as we know, 90% of all uh, currency, uh, all currency, not just uh, cryptocurrency, but all currencies, is all digital numbers anyway. And so the idea is, through cryptography, you have a, a wallet, which is your personal ID, and then you have your address, and which is your public ID. Um, Your wallet's private. Your, your, uh, your address is public. I know I have an address. And if I want to send you, uh, you know, a digital currency, I can do that. And all these computers on these distributed network would then make sure through cryptography that, that your address matches my address. And then they would log that the, that the currency that was previously mine is now yours. And that would go on the blockchain. And therefore, now you can transact financial information without needing a bank. Well, what's remarkable is as you had this network built out over the last 10 years, now what you have are applications outside of the financial industry that can leverage it. And, and one of the perfect areas for that is is healthcare, where information is somewhat centralized in the EHR because of security. Uh, you know, uh, at least that's what they you know they've said in the past. It's a conspiracy. you got to put it on servers, put it put it on premise, um, and and therefore it's been very difficult for patients to access that. You need the fax releases, et cetera, et cetera. But yet, you know, so what this has done is put patients with chronic disease in a very passive position where health kind of ends up happening to them versus something they can control. Which we all know, chronic diseases, you know nearly eighty percent of. Diabetes, heart disease, and stroke are preventable at 40% cancers, but they don't have access to the information. You can't share information with loved ones, you can't share it with new doctors. And so what blockchain does is it allows for patients to essentially keep a record of their data. We're not trying to replace CHRs. We're just you're, you're essentially taking a copy of that data, joining it with any other clinical or health-related data they may have in their own personal cloud storage. And what the blockchain does is through something called smart contracts, which is if-then logic, you can in real time as a patient add, hey, so-and-so, I want them to have access to this information. And through the blockchain, you can make that happen so it's automated. So so now, not only can you share the data, but you have a log, almost like a global HIPAA log of every transaction or anybody accesses your data, you can see who accesses it. And so it really solves for the data interoperability that we've had you know, great trouble with uh, over the many, many uh, years um, since the advent of electronic health records. And and then the other thing it does, it also allows you to have a loyalty program where now, uh, just like you would trade a Bitcoin, you can now exchange some, you know, a token for uh, healthy behaviors as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So both of those functions are enabled by the blockchain and in many ways automated. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, functionally, you're going to see many, many more applications getting built on a blockchain. In fact, um, you know, there's estimates now that $10 trillion is going to be pouring into blockchain over the next uh, three to five years of fiduciary money. I mean, right now, the market cap is probably about $350 billion. So we're really talking about the next wave of the internet um, applications and any entity, um, any middle person. Um, that, that is required because of a trust-based system would essentially be disintermediated through blockchain. And that's, that's the beauty. It really builds on efficiencies and solves problems that today are, are really big issues. Um, and in healthcare, as we know, the cost issue and, 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 you know, many, many agree that healthcare is probably the top one or two markets that's really going to get transformed, uh, by, by this technology.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like it's very, very future, but, it, it also just given what I'm reading about blockchain technology in banking and in finance, it's moving faster than, than at least I, and I think most people recognize. So does this become, does blockchain technology become the new HIE? Does it become the, the, the way that electronic medical records are, are now, you know, be able to talk with one another?
1: Absolutely. It's so funny because when I, um, so one of the first things when I was coming up with this concept with, uh, my co-founder a lot of people like why well, EHRs are really fight it um, and I said well I know you know I know the CEO and uh, or the the founding CEO of Greenway uh, Health which is a very large EHR company and uh, let me talk to him about it and, and he said you know Samir is like I want to I want to be involved with this because I've been talking about data liquidity for over a decade now mm-hmm. and the HIEs just didn't get to where it needed to go. The HIEs were meant to do that, but they haven't. And it really hasn't put the control in the patient. I mean, it's it's in some ways made it easier for some hospitals to get it, but, but the EHRs haven't really been built around accessing those HIEs. The participation in the HIEs has been somewhat, um, fragmented Mm -hmm. and suboptimal. Mm -hmm. And and this is about, you know, patient centered control. Mm -hmm. So, um, so long short of it, absolutely. This is really going to solve the HIE and some of the uh, some of the issues that the HIEs were supposed to solve, and the data interoperability issue, mm-hmm. which ultimately comes down to you know patient empowerment. I mean, how do we empower patients? Because ultimately, it's about it's not about what we do as as, as physicians, but rather it's what patients do
2: mm-hmm.
1: as patients with chronic conditions, because mm-hmm. ultimately they have the ability to prevent both. The advent of the condition, but also the complications from it. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, you're you're. I'm going to jump a little bit here, but you're focused on um, patients with chronic chronic medical conditions. Would this, if I were a patient that uh, I was just focused on wellness and I didn't have, let's say, high blood pressure, diabetes, or arthritis or some, you know, heart disease, uh, w- would I still uh, be eligible to go on this? Or is this really, are you targeting a segment of the population that is really dealing with, with chronic medical conditions where, as you're pointing out, uh, uh, performing healthful behaviors, staying away from unhealthy behaviors will really make a difference in terms of outcomes and cost of care, hospitalizations, surgeries, those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, no, we are not, you know, listen, the biggest issue we're finding is that the, the greatest need um, and desire for those with uh, captive populations is to manage those with chronic conditions. So that's where our customers are right now. Mm-hmm. But the reality is any, any application where you're, you know, you're trying to drive consumer or patient engagement, for example, it could be Fitbit that uses vitamins to drive Fitbit engagement, right? It could be uh, any, any application. Because it's not, again, we're not trying to push an app
2: mm-hmm.
1: on people. What we're trying to do is we're just building the ability for any app to become a portal report, portable repository of health information. So Fitbit wanted to create a personal cloud storage for patients to then put EHR data, to put blood pressure data. They wanted to integrate health kit information, sleep data uh, from different sources. We would do that by blockchain enabling their app and then we would also do it via vitamin enabling so we're creating essentially a vitamin wallet and a blockchain capability and that's kind of where we are we're not trying to create an app or focus right now our customers that we're talking to are most interested in mm-hmm. in chronic condition management yep but um but in terms of you know what our goals are it's really about building the ab- the, the capability for creating this personal repository health information and this loyalty program for whomever right. and whatever app um, has a captive population.
0: Right. I, I boy, I have so many questions, and I want to jump into like who your customers are and and who your primary customers are, secondaries. But before we get to that, let's you know, as I was reading through again your white papers, and you I, maybe I've been reading too much uh, about what you're doing, but. I, I see a world, uh, at least the picture, and I'm not sure this is what you want to come across, or, or or it is. But you know, I see a mint health or vitamin world where literally, you know, I sign up to this app uh, uh, and um, I, I get these uh, these uh, you know uh, bitcoins or these 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 uh, virtual currencies uh, for performing healthful behaviors, for signing up for educational programs. It it becomes this becomes my world. This becomes my life where. I'm gaining currencies, uh, you know, just like in any other loyalty program by, by being healthy, by doing healthy things. Uh, and, and that's exactly right. So how do I set up the program? And then what's my life look like when I'm, when I'm, I'm on Mint Health?
1: Well, so, so as a patient, you would, you would not necessarily, at least at this stage, come directly to Mint. We would, you would you would probably either be an employee and an employer that we've engaged or a um, and, and we will have probably, you know, direct consumer applications. But right now it's about whether you're you're a sleep apnea device company that has sleep apnea patients and you're trying to get more adherence or a drug company that's trying to get more adherence or you are a, a, a payer that has heart failure patients that are driving costs up and you want to manage that population of patients, or if you're an employer, um, you know, or a government, you know. So it really just depends on who your customers are. Ultimately, as I mentioned, we're a platform as a service, which means basically we enable existing platforms to drive improved engagement uh, and loyalty as well as, Reduced costs in the situation where you're dealing with chronic conditions. So it just, it just depends. But, you know, a lot of what we're hearing, at least early on, are chronic condition engagement, patient engagement around migraines, uh, heart failure, diabetes, sleep apnea. And those are the, those are the conditions where we're really targeting based on current customer interest.
0: So, 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 yeah, just to punctuate that point, and again, uh, for those folks who've been listening to the podcast series, you're familiar with this, but the, when you talk about those sorts of chronic diseases and, and the, um, adherence to taking the medications, uh, or, or just doing the healthful behaviors, adherence for decades has really been in the range of 30 to 50%, 50% at best. Um and typically with a chronic disease like diabetes it's it's such a hard thing to to do all the right things that uh, that adherence with the appropriate behaviors including medication taking usually is closer to that 30 to 40%. And so what you're saying here so this is a major major problem and the consequences are huge both in terms of personal health outcomes as well as the tremendous cost of care to the individual their family and of course to the their employers and to uh the the payers of, of healthcare, whether that be the government CMS or or commercial payers, and so you 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 are in essence you're saying we're the solution to that in terms of moving that adherence from the thirty to forty to fifty percent range up to a point where it's really going to make a difference in terms of lowering costs and improving health outcomes. Yeah, that's what drug that's one area, but that's what drug adherence. Mm-hmm. But
1: you know it's. It could be, you know, a heart failure population where now you're just getting them to stay out of the hospital, right? And heart failure, as we know, is it's the leading cause of readmissions in this country. It's one of the leading, I think it's the leading cause of admissions too. I mean, I know nearly 35% of all hospital admissions are heart failure and 50% are readmissions. Mm -hmm. So you start to tokenize behaviors of heart failure patients. We know as, you know, as a cardiologist, I know that just getting patients to weigh themselves daily so that when they put on more than three pounds of weight, they've known that maybe they took in too much salt. Um, so you tokenize that behavior alone, you could probably save millions in hospitalizations for payers and employers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, something as simple as that mm-hmm. could drive significant value, mm-hmm. and that value would be retained in the token. So by, by an employer purchasing $1 million mm-hmm. of vitamins to run a vitamin campaign, or heart failure, they would potentially see three to five million dollars in, in hospitalization reduction and, and cost reduction. And therefore now you're transferring the value of that token back to the employer, which then leads them to buy more vitamins. And there, what that creates is now this economy of scale. So that way you are now the economics start to play out where you become, you know, again, this platform for running campaigns for any Kind of condition that ultimately is causing pain to individuals and 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 those who are responsible for those individuals
0: Mm -hmm. so so you use the word tokenize I, i think this may be the first time i've heard that so it's great so so just to make sure people understand and and it may be obvious but just to go back over it so i'm a patient with heart failure weighing myself daily is important because if I start to put on a bunch of water weight, um, it'll start to fill up my lungs with fluid and uh, I'll end up in the emergency room or the hospital. Very hard to get people to uh, comply with that and to weigh themselves every day. And you're saying by tokenized, you mean if I'm a heart failure patient, if I do that, what will I get?
1: You'll get vitamins, you'll get tokens for it, mm-hmm. right? You'll, you would You would essentially build a mechanism where now the smart contract would say when data comes into uh, the personal cloud via whatever app they might be using, right? That smart contract is if then logic. So they would see weight being entered, you know, call it seven days in a row, right? And, and you would get a vitamin for that, right? And so things, you know, mechanisms like that, there would also be self-logged information, which might get a certain amount of tokens versus validated information, like a hemoglobin A1C, hmm. which, uh, is less likely to game the system, right? Um, and so, you know, there's different ways, but but through machine learning and through running the campaigns, we would then be able to learn more about how to design the smart contracts, depending on what the application or use mm-hmm. is gonna be. So, uh, and that's another reason why, you know, being a platform upfront, it's really the design of the smart contracts, the design of the campaign and the redemption opportunities for those vitamins once they've been earned mm-hmm. that will drive a lot of the traction and adoption of this the platform
0: so, so, so my my employer or my provider or my payer buys purchases these vitamins these uh, uh, currencies virtual currencies and uh, if and when I perform the behaviors the healthful behaviors that uh, they want me to and, and are in my best interest, uh i will get i will get these tokens now what what can i redeem these tokens for what what can i purchase with these
1: initially it'll be very it'll be closed e- ecosystems where you know an employer might you know let's just take a retail store we're talking to an organization right now that um in fact um uh, we're talking to the company higgy higgy is a uh, a company that has 11,000 kiosks across some different retail environments across the country. We would basically token enable, a vitamin enable, the Higgy machines. And now basically patients would be getting, you know, tokens based on certain behaviors. And I'm sorry, your question was-
0: Yeah, what what can I, yeah, I have these tokens and I mean, can I go out and buy food with them? Can I buy, what, what can I purchase with this? What kind of purchasing power does it give me?
1: Exactly. So then those vitamins would then be used to purchase right in the stores up on the retail uh, location that, that you're an employee of, or it could be used to get uh, HSA dollars, right? So you could get, you know, 100 vitamins and for every, you know, 100 vitamins, you know, you're getting now HSA dollars, or it could have you be eligible for a different plan, or it could, you know, pay down your deductible, it could be used for co-pays, office visits, you know, it could be used for co-pays for your prescriptions. But the, the whole idea there is initially it'll be depending on who the actual purchaser of the vitamin is, the, the initial redemption marketplace is really going to be related to their actual, um, the, their line of business, mm-hmm. right? And in, in the case of it, the, you know, of a payer like an Aetna, it's easy, right? Cause you would just get lower deductibles, right? Or right. you could go, to CVS and redeem your vitamins for prescriptions, mm-hmm. right? That would be the ideal situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could, you could see whole foods would have, uh, vitamin approved products, right? Or you could buy helpful goods and services, which is different than somebody getting cash, which, which many employers do. I mean, United actually is paying $1,500 to patients with diabetes, mm-hmm. or I think the program is called motion. So they're paying $1,500 for using a Fitbit, right? I mean, so there's precedence to where, where payers and employers are paying hundreds and in some cases, many cases, thousands of dollars uh, in cash, um, which can be used on anything. You know, while in this situation, you're actually now taking a token that can be used for specific things within specific environments, because it can be programmed into the uh, smart contracts.
0: Right. So you're, you're, I think what's, what's nice about this is that you're, like you say, it's the, the, you can redeem them for, and you get buying power for things that actually will continue to improve your health. That's right. Yeah. That's really, that's really neat. Now, so, so I see, and now I'm getting to understand the, the kind of incentive part of it. What about the, um, the personal health record side? Where is this, pulling information from, and, and, and you use in, in the descriptives a lot about this alignment uh, principle and, and then who gets this information and, and, and how is it protected? So I know it's not, you know, going to outside sources that I, I may not want it to get to.
1: Well, you know, again, it comes down to who your, who your customer is, right? I mean, remember, we're not just going out and doing this blindly. We're working closely with specific customers. So Let's just take a customer is a employer. Okay. Uh, a large employer that wants to vitamin enable, you know, a diabetic and heart failure population, because that seems to be at least initially where they want to go. Right. And so we would dev- design vitamin campaigns, right? Around those two, two sp- specific conditions. Right. And as part of that data, we would, we could get data via you know, a EHR integration or whether it's a front-end or a back-end integration. In this case, it might be a front-end where we're getting the patient's username and password and we're able to import their data based on their permission into their personal cloud. And then they're adding data from, you know, they're uploading CDs or DVDs to their personal cloud storage, which then has pointers to the app, right? So it's just an API integration into the blockchain, where data now is being ported into the blockchain under, uh, excuse me, not into the blockchain, using the blockchain uh, into a personal cloud store. So the data is not being stored in the blockchain. It's, it's stored in the cloud, but it's being protected. And as you know, all that data has to have, has to be organized in a manner that where all the metadata is 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 put in a way where it can be surveyed, queried. And then there has to be pointers to that data in the blockchain, right? So all that organization is is actually something that my uh, our foundational ecosystem partners, uh, you know, Nucleus Health and MD Revolution, With Nucleus Health doing the data management side because they do this for, you know, health uh, imaging, right? So they do this medical imaging. They've done exactly that. They've taken data, put it in the cloud, and using the blockchain, uh, they're able to now transfer and share mm-hmm. that data to a Chrome-like mm-hmm. browser for anybody that wants to view it, mm-hmm. right, in real time and so so that data management piece is is a key competency that we've developed as well as patient engagement really which really comes from the the MD revolution experience but um but at the end of the day if it's a health system or a a hospital um or a payer you know we would pick health systems and say all right we could do a back end integration through HL7 or other mechanisms and pull you know data on thousands of patients at once into the personal cloud storages for each patient. Um, and then again, the smart contracts in the blockchain would just be a permissioning mechanism, right? So the patient says, hey, I want Dr. Jones, you know, uh, to access this data, um, because he's my cardiologist. And then they you could do that, the patient could control that via permissioning in the blockchain. And at this at the same time, the data is sitting in the actual cloud. And so the patient controls if anyone accesses it, Essentially, uh, the patient would know because it'd be it'd be in the blockchain um, and it's sitting there encrypted because, you know, by HIPAA, HIPAA rules, you have to do that. And the beauty of this is if Mint Health goes away, you know what? That patient still has their personal cloud storage and their data there. Uh, you know, one of the things we which I thought was quite funny is you, you see Apple going out talking about how they're going to become this this health record data. And I'm like, you know, you're basically going from one silo to the next. And I I just I don't think that that's the right thing. I mean, you know, for people to trust their HIV test or their cancer diagnosis and have it be on Apple servers, um, you're just you're just taking one silo to the next. While this mechanism is really about patient control and patient empowerment, because they now have data access. And if they want to share that data, guess what? They actually share it in exchange for vitamins. So not only can you do campaigns for specific diseases, but as our database goes, now drug companies and life science and academic organizations mm-hmm. come and say, listen, we want to do a campaign for data on patients on specific drugs and outcomes. So they would then go to the marketplace and essentially have a ability to say, Hey, in, in exchange for this data, we will offer you vitamins. So now what a novel concept. Patients mm-hmm. are actually getting paid for, in, for, for entities using their data. Um, you know, which, which, uh, you know, is essentially what I believe the future holds. And I know Apple, you know, with their um, model that they're putting out there, it's, you know, it's, you know, if you think about our kids, society already knows so much about everything, um, you know, our kids and and we do. And, 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 you know, throw health data in another silo on top of that, given what's happened with Facebook and some of the things recently, to me is a pretty scary concept.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, so it sounds like this blockchain technology really is a lot, more secure, safer, and controllable than than even some of the other uh, platforms that are being offered out there. Um, so, so I'm on this. I, I I'm beginning to understand the campaign and and how I get these vitamins uh, for behaviors and even things like sharing my data from a provider's perspective. Does first of all, my provider, my doctor, uh, pharmacy. Are they, are they, do I, do I give them permission to be part of this and they get the information? And for instance, if I do something, my doctor said, does, uh, do I get the vitamins from my physician? How does that work? No, typically the, the vitamins would be, again, you know, if it
1: was a physician group that were purchasing the vitamins, whoever the purchaser of the vitamins are is typically an at risk. So it could be an ACO. Got it. Right. Mm-hmm. So an accountable care organization that basically is managing a risk. Just think about managing risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any entity that's managing risk typically has an incentive to drive a specific patient behavior, right? That's basically what managing risk is. If you're a health plan, if you're a government, if you're an ACO, um, HMO, right? A Kaiser um, would be a perfect example. Kaiser could... Kaiser could easily be a great partner on the vitamin side where they've created an incentive model where their patients are getting vitamins, right? For redemption for all kinds of things because it's a closed system, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in addition to ultimately where you're able to redeem it, you know, at much larger places, like I mentioned, Whole Foods, Amazon, mm-hmm. et cetera. But, it, but again, it just depends on, mm-hmm. um, who the payer is. Taking on risk.
0: No, this is that's a really great picture. And, you know, it's it's so interesting because for years uh, I work with physicians, obviously, and um, the one one comment that I hear repeatedly and for decades has been that look, I I can advise patients what to do, I can counsel them, I could give them prescriptions, I can't I can't make them do anything, right? They have to do that for themselves, and so yeah. this this system you're putting into
1: place water, but you can't make a horse drink, right? right? I mean, it's it's the whole point. It's like, you know, what we want to do is, is, is try to guide patients. As, and we as physicians, we try to guide them to where we want them to go, but without an incentive to really make them do it. I mean, we've been trained for hundreds of years, right? We, you know, 300 million people died from smallpox in the 20th century. Uh, you know, as physicians, the historical training of physicians have been around uh, communicable diseases and pathology that you could treat either by cutting it out or with a drug. Um, and, and, and you know, we now have these conditions which are exactly what they say, chronic non-communicable conditions that patients are mm-hmm. control of, but yet they think they're not because we have a very paternalistic system that is healthcare, which is doctors know best and therefore patients think healthcare only happens mm-hmm. when they're in front of the doctor. And and you know, for those of us sitting on these podcasts, it's one thing. But when you look at the scourge of chronic diseases that is there today, I mean, four out of five deaths from chronic disease. Not, I mean, it's not just the U.S. that has. I mean, there's 300 million prediabetics in India alone. Uh, you know, four out of five deaths from chronic disease are in you know in, in developing nations. Um, and if you look in the U.S., it's generally in socioeconomic populations that are unaware and uneducated. So there are a whole swath of society that are getting left behind because they haven't been educated or incentivized mm-hmm. in a way that, mm-hmm. that gets them to be healthier and they haven't been engaged. And, and it's really sad. And I, and I, and, um, you know, I think that the, the, the big thing that's been lacking mm-hmm. is the ability mm-hmm. for us to be able to incentivize.
0: So five years from now, uh, you've launched Mint Health. It's, you've gotten your, your partners, uh, uh whether they be ACOs or employers or payers or government uh, payers of healthcare. What uh what what does healthcare look like in, in in five years in in a in a mint health world, in a vitamin world? Where
1: where you know, where I'd like to see, and in five years is a very short time frame, but you know, I, I think you know uh most cynics out there say nothing's gonna happen in five years. I would say that um the one thing that I'm excited by is is the level of, if you think about government regulation, I mean, the governments have been really powerful in moving healthcare forward. I mean, the, the, um, the, high tech act, I think it was 2008, you know, really drove, um, the use of an adoption of electronic health records. The next phase, what we're seeing a lot of the regulatory environment is really pushing patient engagement. Um, and, and for the exact, for the, all the reasons I just mentioned is that, you know, Medicare and we all know that we're headed straight for a single payer system because you know, the costs are unsustainable. And we're at a 5% uh, just in this country, 5% annual increase in healthcare costs. We're going to go over 5 trillion. Medicare is headed straight for insolvency. So what we're finding is there's just an intense uh, regulatory tailwind around, um, you know, around patient engagement. And what we're finding is those that are for-profit uh, entities are, are really trying to engage out of the hospital. I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked to a number of Fortune 100 and 500 companies that are in healthcare that are really all about looking at out of out of hospital Engagement and in a mental health world. What that means is to really drive out of hospital engagement um, You're gonna have to uh, Essentially find ways to incentivize the kinds of behaviors on uh, That you need for patients to really do and and otherwise I just don't see without the incentive model It's going to be really tough and so um, and if and if done right, those incentives can yield great ROI, and we've seen that um, with high-touch care by itself, with MD Revolution, where we were able to drive you know five to one ROI in, in, in Mississippi uh, on a population of 3,500 patients, where every dollar Medicare spent, they got five in, in return. And so, um, building novel methods mm-hmm. for patient engagement is is really front of mind of every single. Mm-hmm uh healthcare company and even companies mm-hmm. that are not in healthcare but want to get into it, uh, big companies, um, uh, you know, that, uh, even big companies like Microsoft. So, so I think, you know, really the triple aim, the quadruple aim, the, the mental health world is one where incentives will become mm-hmm. part and parcel of how we manage chronic disease. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, it's, it's a different world and whether it's five mm-hmm. years, seven years, or 10 years, it's going to have to happen. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of my view of the world that that uh, we have to dramatically change the paternalistic mindset and start to really empower patients. And you can hear a lot of patient empowerment, um, you know, lip service. But the reality is patient empowerment is really going to be driven by uh, incentives. Mm-hmm.
0: You see a role for disincentives as well in 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 the future. So, for instance, uh, You know, uh, one issue we know is that uh, lots of uh, people use uh, emergency rooms inappropriately. Uh, If I did, I went to an emergency room for something I could have gone to my doctor for, to an urgent care, would you see uh, uh, a disincentive around uh, taking away a vitamin or part of a a vitamin, or is that uh, not the way you like to play it? That's
1: not not really our model. I think the disincentive really honestly is already there. I mean, what you're seeing is, is cost costs are being transferred to the consumer, which is the patient, mm. right? So uh, it's going to get more and more expensive for that patient to go to an ER for a a problem that they shouldn't have gone to the ER for, and or a problem that could have been prevented. And so a lot of that cost has got to go somewhere. That three to five trillion, uh, it, it's just not sustainable. So where does the cost going to go? It's going to go uh, either to taxes or directly to the patient. And uh, if, if it goes to taxes in the next 25 years, I mean, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. We're going to have a hundred million people over the age of 65. Our kids are going to be handcuffed with one out of every two dollars they spend on, on taxes if we, if we offer healthcare, uh, if, if, uh, if we don't do something dramatic. And so, you know, I think the, the transfer on the disincentives is going to happen. What I'm hoping is happens that we, we continue to see the regulatory, movement towards out-of-hospital engagement and education. And we continue to see novel business models like mental health crop up to really drive meaningful improvements in population health.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Uh, what what are, I mean, when I hear you speaking, again, I've spent quite a bit of time researching this and it seems like like you're saying for acos for clinical integration networks for uh payers uh, including the government this would be something uh i i would think they would have a very very serious interest in are you I, I know in the literature you you talked about pilot partners are uh number one are 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 people stepping up or partners stepping up and number two what 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 reasons might someone have for waiting on this as opposed to getting in sooner
1: uh, we're seeing tremendous interest in the pilot partners. So a big part of our issue is really um, securing the financing to uh, move forward on the pilots, in fact. Um, so, yeah, no, there's a tremendous amount of interest. Um, we are definitely interested in continuing to seek out partners, and we've got at least seven right now that we are talking to concurrently. Obviously, uh, being a young, early-stage company, we're going to have to Pick and choose which ones we engage with, but um, but no, it's it's definitely resonating. The market, it, the need, the market need is there. I think we really nailed the the the, um, the business model, the idea, the timing. I think a lot of it now is really about execution. It's worth attempting. I mean, this is a this is a real problem. Um, that everybody across the world faces today.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're addressing s- s- the core issue. I think, as you put it, very well, in, in terms of chronic disease and and being uh, a function of, of the behavior of people, and um, as opposed to uh, just uh, the information or education uh, recommendations of physicians. So, I think this is this is you're, you're going right to the source of of uh, the major issue in healthcare in the future. What are you most proud of in terms of the work you've done today? And I know you, you talk a lot in, in, in your writings about patient engagement and patient empowerment, which I, I really admire. Uh, t- t- tell me more about that. What, 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 are, you, what are you really proud of in, in both in this work and the work you've done before?
1: Yeah, you know that's a it's a great question. You know, um, I think that I, you know, it's funny. It's it's the things you get to choose in life are, I think, uh, are not many. Um, but I, I think you get to choose what projects you work on and who you work on them with. Um, And, you know, when I first entered medicine, I, I was very much enamored and curious about the human body as I went through fellowship. And then when I got my master's and did research, I was always searching for, you know, how can I make an impact, you know, Beyond my everyday practice, um, and which which by the way, I, I revere doctors. I, I just think that work is so important, and I, I still maintain a, a a small clinical practice. but one of the things that struck me was that the system today is is really truly not sustainable, and we are doing a disservice to both. Uh, brilliant physicians who have to essentially be on an assembly line to make ends meet now and and the patients who only get 7 to 10 minutes of time when they need uh much more. And so I think what I'm probably most proud of has been the perseverance around working on projects that matter and with the people that matter because it's it's hard work we're doing and it's it's challenging and it's it tests your will and, and passion alone is not enough, uh, you need purpose. And so I think, you know, I, I'm very proud of, of, uh, having continued to try to move forward in creating novel ways in which we can truly do better by both patients and physicians. And, um, you know, I think that work is going to continue for some time. Um, but I think, you know, at this stage, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So, you know, I can't really say I'm proud of any one thing other than the fact that, uh, you know, I'm six years into one company and I'm uh, two years into another. And, and I think we've made, uh, really meaningful strides in, in understanding, not even making changes on a broad, broad scale, but understanding patients and, and how we should engage.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, final question. What was the best piece of advice you were ever given? <laughs>
1: you don't fail if you don't quit.
0: Oh, say that again.
1: <laughs> you don't fail if you don't quit.
0: I, I, You only fail if you quit. I love that. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Damani, you've been so generous with your time, and I I, I know how incredibly busy you are right now. I, I just want to say I, I thank you so much for being a guest on Creating New Healthcare and and bringing us some just really fresh perspectives and and bold solutions. And it's clear you are um, are really advancing uh, value based and consumer oriented healthcare. And uh, also want to just, as always, thank our listeners out there who, has, as as Dr. Damani just referred to, are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients. And those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, I, I truly hope this has been uh, as as meaningful and, and useful for you as uh, as this uh, dialogue has been for me. So, so, Samir, thank you so much. Take care.